Will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love, and may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, turns out that 2020 is a no-fair kind of year, and especially in Texas. There will be no fair, no great state fair of Texas this year. And what better text to send us crying out no fair than the one we just heard read. When I was in the first grade, I always felt bad for one of my classmates. His name was Fred Ziggenhals. I felt bad for him not only because his last name was so long and hard to spell, but because his last name started with a Z. And that meant whenever we lined up for anything, he was always the last in the line. He was the last to get out to the playground, the last to get through the lunch line, and worst of all, the last to get in line with the boys to go to the restroom. It just didn't seem fair. And perhaps that is why when I'm making assignments for my classes that I teach, I always mix it up a bit so that the people whose names that end in W, V, Y, and Z aren't always last. My mom, when she thought about this particular parable, made it clear that this was her least favorite parable of Jesus. She just could never wrap her mind around the idea that someone who worked hard all day long and someone who worked just a few hours were paid the same amount. I tell you, I kind of love that justice streak that ran through the center of her heart. Of course, the challenges of Jesus' parables or that the teachings are often not what we think they are. Just like my mom, over time, there have been many interpretations of this parable that may not be exactly on point. One way people for years have thought about this parable is that it is meant to counter the charges of the religious authorities of Jesus' day, who, well, actually the religious leaders of Matthew, the writer's day, who thought that the Jesus movement was a bit too lax, admitting questionable newcomers into the full membership of the faith. By the way, that complaint is often leveled at the United Church of Christ, who says, whoever you are, wherever you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. I often tell people when they say that to me, well, y'all just let anybody in. I say, yes, that's what we do, because that's what Jesus taught. Of course, it is more serious than that. When we step back and widen our lens to see our current cultural issues, we discover that this parable applies to so much. Immigration. Refugees. Black Lives Matter, violence against black men and women and other people of color, 
people who are marginalized in schools and don't get the benefit of a good education simply because they're impoverished, and oftentimes because of their nationality or their race or their gender or their sexuality. A traditional interpretation of this parable is often told with the idea that the early arrivers to the vineyards were the Jews and Jewish Christians, and that the late arrivals were Gentile Christians. But think about what kind of thinking and behavior that sets up. It resonates with the ugly anti-Jewish tropes that Jews are stingy. It also smacks of Christian self-righteousness, doesn't it? Also for Jesus, and to some extent for Matthew, the writer, the heart of the matter here had less to do with faith identity and more to do with our human judgment about salvation. Who's in and who's out? Of course, that theme is alive and well in our country today. Who's in? Who's out? Who's in the kingdom? Who's outside the kingdom? This passage is not the only one that shares the paradox of the last will be first and the first will be last. A clear signal that the parable is to be understood as a picture of how God's realm turns supposed hierarchies upside down. And it must have been important because it comes up no less than three times in Jesus' teachings in the Gospel of Matthew. The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Like last week's reading, this parable is about the realm of heaven and what it is like, what the realm of heaven that God sees is like. Its central point, then, isn't economic. Its central point is not moral. Rather, the central point is about God, how God sees, how God understands a new world that has come near. Now, the landowner in the story might best be described as a wise and generous authority figure. Some people want to say this is the God figure in the story. This landowner hires laborers for his vineyard several times throughout the day and compensates them all equally. He pays them a typical day's wage. And he pays the last arrivals first. The last shall be first. And it causes consternation among the early arrivals, and they express it by grumbling. That's, of course, what the Hebrews did when they were wandering in the wilderness and God gave them out of abundance food to eat and kept them alive with water to drink. And still they grumbled. And these who were hired first grumble not that they ought to be paid more, but rather that the late arrivers ought to be paid less. 
fascinating, isn't it? It's a work-reward ethos. The idea that good should be distributed according to the effort and excellence in bearing the burden of the day. Kind of how my mom thought about it. Surely this sounds familiar as we contemplate our contemporary capitalistic culture. Do you get that? Do you hear it? Even though we are a country in which almost every single person, save our Native American sisters and brothers, are immigrants. We're descended from immigrants. And yet, white Euro-American people often somehow think they deserve a greater portion, the greater goods of society, often to the point of not thinking at all about our sisters and brothers who are black, who are Hispanic, who are Native American, who are Asian, not thinking at all about the poor, the impoverished, the immigrant, the refugee. And yet, throughout Scripture, we are told that God loves the marginalized and that we are to care for the widow and the orphan and the stranger in our midst. There's something deeper going on here as well. A work and reward mentality has those in power, or in the case of the parable, the early workers, demand and expect higher wages for themselves and express envy for the late arrivers. And we do that, don't we? We want the best goods, and sometimes there are those among us who have the best goods, who look down upon those who do not, the immigrants and refugees, the descendants of slaves. The grumbling of the early workers, those in power, is cast in terms of competitive contempt and resentment. They haven't worked as hard as we have. They don't deserve to be equal with us. Strictly speaking, it's not envy that the early workers have. Instead, it's the opposite. Wishing someone else didn't have what you have. Indeed, they've judged the late arrivers to be less worthy, and they resent the householder's action because it erases imaginary pecking orders. You have made them equal to us, the early workers say. And worse, for 21st century Americans who fear that those late workers will ultimately take away from what the early workers have earned, fear is the overriding expression. It goes just below the surface of all the injustices that somehow by treating people equally, those in power, those who have the most, will lose. The landlord, however, will have none of this. 
Interestingly, the New Revised Standard Version translates his response, are you envious? But the Greek literally means, is your eye evil? Jesus uses the evil eye idiom in another time in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember this, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, literally, if your eye is evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Thus, the problem with the early arrivers has to do with how they see, or rather fail to see, the world around them. Where they could have seen we, they see us versus them. Where they could and should feel camaraderie, they feel contempt. Where they could and should see a celebration in the vineyard of God's grace, they see an arena of competition and a cause for resentment. In short, their eye is evil. And so they see unhealthily and have no light and darkness resides within them. Even the landowner's generosity itself, the very abundance of which early arrivers too are beneficiaries, appears as an occasion for division and scorn. And that kind of clannishness is divisive exactly what is in store for Jesus a few chapters from now when he will arrive at Golgotha. But this landlord's response makes it clear that this vineyard, and by extension the realm of heaven, operates with an upside-down kind of logic. Divine blessings are given not according to who works the hardest, but rather according to the generous nature of God. Such blessings, then, are not rewards at all. They're gifts. You get that? Blessings are gifts. The governing ethos of the realm of heaven isn't work and reward, but rather gift and gratitude. We get the gifts, and our response can be gratitude and invites us to join in God's realm here on earth. And the good news for today is in this parable, this classic case of comforting the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable, that all who feel unworthy, unholy, on the outside looking in, get to hear good news. The gift, the blessings for all. And the economy in creation and heaven's economy is based not on righteousness, but on God's grace. The work-reward ethic, so dominant in our world as we know it today, has no place in the realm of heaven. And that realm is now dawning, even though we can't see it. So let us be encouraged, for Jesus says the last shall be first. And by the same token, to those who feel entitled or superior, holier than thou, or on the inside looking out, the parable comes as a sharp word of warning. Beware the us and them arrogance that cuts us off from our sisters and brothers and ultimately the experiencing of God's generosity. 
because God's generosity operates like the video we saw this morning. God loves me too. God loves you too. God loves us. The great liberation theologian Gustavo Gutierrez in his book, A Theology of Liberation, writes this and makes sense of this whole parable for us. If there is no friendship with the poor and no sharing of the life of the poor, then there is no authentic commitment to liberation because love exists only among equals. Your neighbor is not the one whom I find in my path, but rather the one in whose path I place myself, the one whom I approach and actively seek. So can we see creation in this way? Is it possible for us to see God's generosity despite how things often seem, despite the drumbeats of scarcity and threat and work and reward? Are we able to see through new eyes that God's realm, in God's realm, enough is enough. There's enough for all. In God's realm, and in God's ethos, there is and will always be enough for all. And we have to learn how to live that truth. Of course, that's easier said than done. And especially in our world, it's suffering so much right now. And we're having so much loss. And we're so besieged with this us versus them mentality. It's hard to see the world as a grace-filled place. And yet... James, writing a letter to the early Christians, knew that there would be wise and understanding among us, that it would be revealed in our good lives, that our works are done with gentleness, born of wisdom. But also caution that if we have envy and selfishness in our hearts, that we had better best not be boastful we had better not be false to the truth. We had better open our hearts and lives to the wisdom that is from above, pure and peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. This is who we are called to be. This is the kind of people you and I are called to be as examples for a hurting and broken and desperate world. When the lamps of our eyes are lit, the wounds of creation begin to heal little by little. You know what? Yes, there is no great state fair of Texas this year. But there is. You know, the people who run the state fair of Texas figured out a new way. They figured out a, a way that people could experience the food of the fair and the picture with big text without the swarming, pressing crowds. That in God's realm, there's always a new way if we will have the eyes to see. Often I'm asked to pray at meals. You know, when you're the pastor in the room, you get asked to pray at meals, to bless the food. 
And I always try to remember to say, we give you thanks for all the good gifts you've given us. And we ask for one gift more to be generous enough in our living so that all can have enough. Let us live that way so that all can have enough. Amen.